Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco, and I have a great, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to introduce to you guys, Sonal Shah. Um, I've met him through... Drum roll. Uh, Hello. Drum roll, please. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so just a little background about Sunil. Uh, we can go uh, more in detail uh, in a bit, but uh, he's currently based out of South Africa. Uh, he's been a fund manager for a while. He's now uh, is now a, a, a uh, uh, is now writing novels and a premium contributor to Seeking Alpha. Uh, before that, um, you know, he he really cut his teeth in London School of Economics. Uh, worked at KPMG for a while, and then worked on uh, as a fund manager on the U.S. desk. Then uh, and later being promoted to the Emerging Market Fund, all in Europe, uh, in London. And then uh, in 1998, he moved to South Africa, and ever since then, he fell in love with Cape Town, and has been there ever since. And I would really classify Sonal as the as the Renaissance man of the investing world. Uh, he he's writing novels and <laughs> publishing articles in Seeking Alpha, and you know also making money on the side. So that's really that's so, like, that's a so pleasure so, to have you so here. So much of a Renaissance man. Thank you. So much of a Renaissance man that um, the novels and articles are barely generating an income to live on. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's a it's a pleasure to have you here, uh, Sonal. Thank you, thank you. It's been uh, interesting. I, this is not something I've done before, and I, I guess dragging me into the twenty first century is probably a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> from, from so, the fourteenth century, Renaissance um, century. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I want to I want to explore, you know, in this in this first episode, I want to I want to explore with you, uh, you know, one of the areas I guess just for everyone's background, how Sonal and I got connected. Uh, we got connected through our common interest in a company, w- which we will talk about in a later episode. But more broadly speaking, I think both of us uh, have a deep interest in, in investing in the emerging market and more specifically in India, Indian market. You know, I see a huge huge potential in Indian market. And also, I just like how Sonal is approaching the market uh, from a very kind of a value orientation, making sure that you know there, there's a sound valuation to it. Uh, and speaking of valuation, you know, this past week with all these IPOs with Airbnb and and whatnot and uh, crazy tech IPOs, I think uh, I think it even it's it's now even more imperative that we kind of think about these fundamentals uh, in a, in a bloated market. So, um, so that's how Sonal I got connected. Um, so yeah, our eyes met across a virtual room. Yeah, okay, exactly. So, um, so before we kind of dive into the Indian market and why we think it's an exciting place to be, exciting place to invest in, uh, why don't we kind of walk through your investment uh, sort of checklist or mental schema as we talked about uh, before the podcast? We talked about different sort of mental schemas that you go through yourself personally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, why don't you talk okay. about that a little bit, Sonal? Sure. Okay. Um, I I would start by saying, you know, regarding a checklist, it's probably inadvisable to have a rigid kind of mechani- me- mechanistic approach in looking at quantitative data like price to book or return on sales or revenue growth, um, because you know if you if you pigeon your hole yourself in a kind of data-driven um, checklist, you, you you would not be able to adapt to the changing investment style that is um, 
prevailing in our market. For example, value has, I think, now underperformed for a decade. Um, so a value checklist would obviously have failed miserably. So I think, I think it's it for me a checklist is um, more a question of you know assessing first the economy right I I, I have a, a masters in economics from um, London School of Economics and I, I I tend to be more interested I guess than your um, garden variety um, fund manager in the kind of economic background in which a company operates and obviously that. Has, is a huge um, determinant in the company's future prospects. Um, so for me, you know, they, they talk about like a top-down and bottom-up approach to to investing. So top-down would be, you know, um, seeing where the economy is kind of um, ebbing and flowing, and 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 a bottom-up would be kind of earnings-driven. But in my opinion, a top-down and a bottom-up approach coincide at the revenue line of, of the company. So obviously you start, um, you know, looking at the revenue and the revenue prospects of the company. Um, uh, let's see, you know, what kind of moat they have, what, what, what kind of franchise they hold, um, what kind of pricing power the company um, can manage to sustain. Um, so that's all kind of on the revenue line. Then you go into the cost side of the picture, seeing, you know, we're going, going into a stage of economies of scale, which is, you know, a big thing in uh, the IT industry, obviously, with the massive scale of companies like Facebook. Um, and, and then just seeing the scope for an improvement in margins or the threat of a deterioration in margins. So then you go down the checklist and you you know eventually come out with the the net profit of the of the company. Um and 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 from that you obviously do a valuation. Now before you get into the innards of the you know earnings and the valuation, you need to assess management. I mean I th- I I think um even large companies um you know, management makes a huge difference. It it, it isn't kind of an autonomous um, vehicle. So so the the direction and character and you know trajectory of the company will be influenced by management. I think you can start by assuming that management lie, and I I think I, I start with that kind of presumption. You know that they'll always talk. A good story. Um, so, a large part of my job has been in trying to corroborate or establish the management narrative. Um, you know, if they say, "Yeah, we our, our our new mobile app is doing very well," then you know, let's check the numbers, let's see the subscriber growth, let's look at the suppliers that might might be providing the the app, or maybe the cell phone or whatever. You know, seeing seeing if there is supporting evidence for the the claim management make. Um, it it's it's helped me a lot in my career to always be very skeptical and jaundiced, um, and and um, 
although someone like Warren Buffett would say he, he never wants to meet management um, because he can't trust them, I, I take kind of a contrary view in saying I want to see how credible management is, to what extent they are deluded, um, or to what extent you know there is some substance to the story they're telling you, um, and, and then try and pick holes in that story. So, you know, even large companies, small companies listed in the US, you have your conference calls, uh, you can email questions, you obviously listen to the questions of the analysts. I try and develop a good relationship with the company's IR. Um, many of the companies that I, most of the companies that I invest in, I have a you know personal relationship with the head of IR or even the CEO. Um, and and I try very hard to to for that relationship to be mutually beneficial. So you know, in, in as far as I can provide the head of IR information, I'll go out of my way to try and do that. And I just find that leads to a more uh, reciprocal or responsive act, um, um, attitude by 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 the IR team. Mm-hmm. So there, um, so, 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 so there's a lot there already. I wanted to kind of uh, okay. harp on a couple of things that you mentioned there. Sure. Okay. As as we're in emerging markets, I'm allowed to smoke. Sorry, we're not first world taboo of everything like that. So occasionally you'll see this thing, which is just a tobacco cigarette going to, uh, to and fro from my lips. Okay. Don't let it worry you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, so, so a couple of things that I want to talk about there, I think is, is super important to touch on. You talked about kind of going down the uh, income statement, starting at revenue and, and the revenue, you approach it from t- both top down, top down, and then the bottoms up yeah. approach, You're thinking about the cost. Exactly. Uh, that's where the, you know, economics, yeah. economies of scales comes in profit. And then yeah. you, you moved on to management. I think, the part that's really interesting about our conversation, in particular to you know, in particular to the company that we're about to talk about in the next episode, is that the management is actually quite quite important. And I think this is, like you said, this is contrary to a lot of value investors or investors with the value orientation. Is that you know they just buy good companies and sit with it, um, but having yeah. that having that due diligence to go extra mile to check whether they are living up to that standard, living up to their own words, I think is super important. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, and, I think, I just I think wa- it's, it's essential. It's absolutely essential. You know, people people think that they can just rely on, you know, um, the historic data sets and, you know, graphs, which, you know, the good graphing tools, which give you the earnings and the dividend and the, the revenue growth. But you, you're, you're apt to find that if a company is stagnant, it is perfectly valued. Right, that over time the market has valued it correctly. So you're looking for a dynamic or, or um, company, either you know improving or deteriorating, which provides an investment opportunity. Mm-hmm. But I, I think you know the, the point that you mentioned about you know having a good relationship with the IR, right? The last point you mentioned as, re- yeah. as it relates to management. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just want to comment on a, uh, a couple of things there. So. As some people have said to me, that 10K is just a marketing document. And I think that goes right. to, it's just, you know, that, you so that's another report. way of, annual report, uh, yeah. It's 10K. just another way of yeah, saying yeah, that yeah. you can't really yeah. take everything at its face value. I think that is sort of supporting what you're yeah. talking about. But the second point you yeah. mentioned about having a good relationship with the IR, 
and having a mutually beneficial relationship. How do you do that as a retail investor, right? I mean, a lot of our listeners here yeah. are retail investors yeah. that have full-time job and et cetera. Yeah. Do you think that's a, how do you, um, how do you do that? I guess. Um, you give your money to me and so let me do it for you. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Uh, no. Um, I, I, you know, even retail investors have full access to conference calls, right? And, and that's a primary or my main so, source of information. Every quarter you have a conference call where management give their spin and then analysts from the sell side ask questions. You could email your question to IR beforehand. You won't be allowed to talk on the conference call, but you certainly be able to get your question in you know, especially if you already own, own, own even one share, um, which they will respond to. But, um, and on the, on the point on the 10K that you mentioned, I mean, I agree to a large extent that, you know, things like the risk factors, it's just boilerplate, you know, laundry list of every, including a tsunami and, you know, Martians landing. And, um, it, 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 but, but within the 10K, as a chartered accountant, I get a lot of information from the detailed, in, uh, you know, segmental analysis, um, trying to figure out um, maybe, you know, why did today's went up or why working capital is going down. Um, I, the, I, I think I, you need to spend a lot of time on the numbers and, and, and the 10 K in, 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 so far as it is mandated information required, right? It's very unlikely um, to have errors unless it's an Enron, unless it's a fraud. So, so for me, 10K, 10Qs are, are very important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, submitting questions beforehand to the conference calls, I think that's, that would be one way of engaging uh, the, yeah. the IR department, uh, the companies that you're yeah. you're interested in, and it uh, and it's interesting, you know. I mean, any any company that you you you're interested in, you know, I, it's almost like it's a story. It's a story of a company, and it's a book, right? And you've got the balance sheet, which is the kind of snapshot of its financial position at a point in time, and then you've got the quarter or the year's earnings, and and. You know, I, I find it, fa- maybe I'm just a nerd, but I find it fascinating to see how that, you know, company has kind of operated in a dynamic environment. Um, and, and, and the questions that Alice asked, the challenges and threats that management have faced, it's, it's interesting. Uh, so I think, you, you know, it, 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 I find it fun. And I think anybody who's investing, um, once they get into a story and the detail of the company, they'll find it interesting too. Yeah, I think that story aspect is really, I think it's really uh, cr- critical. It kind of goes to goes to your interest in writing novels as well. It sort of meshes well together. Yeah, but, but there I can, you know, um, uh, predict or, or dictate the outcome, which is, which <laughs> yeah. is convenient. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so... Anything else you want to mention about kind of your mental schema? As uh, so you talked about, uh, you know, bottoms up, yeah. top, you know, top down management, yeah. uh, having a relationship yeah. with IR. Anything else you want to talk about there before we shift yeah. gears? I mean, sure. I, I'll just say I spend a lot of time on segmental analysis, right? So like revenue per segment, if it's got three or four divisions, profit margins in each segment. Um, 
I find profit margins critical to a business. You know, um, the revenue to a large extent is is an um, exogenous factor. You know, the, the company is operating within an economy, uh, but but the cost structure and how the company is um, achieving economies of scale, improving margins, that that I find very interesting. And, and so I spend a lot of time even tabulating, you know, data, picking, picking numbers from 10 Qs um, to, to try and um, um, get graphs of segmental profit margins, you know, by division. And, and seeing how the trajectories look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Doing a thorough, thorough deep dive into each segment and doing segmental analysis and, and, and folding that up into the whole company story. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so let's, let's shift gears a little bit here and then start talking about the Indian market, the, the India okay. as an investment opportunity. Okay. Uh, so in- because before before we go there, um, you know, in terms of like methodology, um, should should we is is this an opportune time to talk about investment style, you know, value and growth or whatever? It, it, or or that that's not something that you wanted to go into. Yeah, we can go into that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's yeah. If you want to talk about that, let's let's do that. I think it's important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perhaps very. Um, you know, very uh, uh, opportune, uh, yeah, opportune time to talk about that, yeah. Please, yeah, yes, yeah. No, so over the last decade, you know, even legends like Warren Buffett have been hammered because of the kind of value orientation, um, and by that, you know, it's it, it it's first good to know what you're talking about when you're saying value. Most people kind of think, oh, um, everybody wants value. Even if you buy a growth company, you want to buy it to a good price, right? So you, you, you want to add value. Um, so the, the term value is quite, quite a confusing one. Um, so in my opinion, a value investor is trying to find cheap shares as, as is a growth investor, right? He's trying to buy growth that is not imputed in the the current um, share price. Um, so I'm, I'm not too sure about that distinction. What, what I will say is that value has been massively an underperforming asset for the last decade um, because of the QE um, um Central bank quantitative easing, printing of money. One of one of the one of the main um, consequences of all that money printing and interest rates going close to zero is that the discount rate is approaching one. Right. So so, so normally you have a time value of money, um, and 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 as the discount rate. Come approaches one or zero 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 percent interest rates, the the time value of money, one billion dollars in year one is the same as one million dollars one billion dollars in year ten, right? So there is no um, penalty given to a growth company that 
might make 10 billion in 10 years. It's the same as if it made 10 billion next year. So as a result, growth companies have, have, uh, benefited from the reduction in interest rates because the future value of their profits as a growth company are discounted less by a lower discount rate. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, absolutely. Let me, let me just regurgitate kind of what you talked about um, for our audience. Uh, Hopefully this uh, will add to the understanding. So I I really like the word that you use punish punishment discount as a punishment mechanism to kind of think about the future projected cash flow. And so because that punishment is now 0% or approaching close to 0%, the future million dollars is worth exactly the same as the current million dollars. And so because there is no penalty, the growth is, is, is being valued at a higher rate because there is no discounting mechanism. So Tesla, if it makes, um, five billion dollars in year five or year ten, when the discount rate is close to zero percent, the value to in the share price is the same. It, it, and it's very counterintuitive, isn't it? That if Tesla achieves its target in year five or year ten or year twenty, it doesn't matter. That's why Tesla is going through the roof because there is no penalty for the time value of it achieving its goal. Mm. Yeah, I also really like the point that you talked about in terms of value investing, the definition of value. It's really a loaded term. It's a loaded yeah. term. And I think people kind of um, only look at value in a very narrow light in yeah. terms and, of and the, looking it, at like yeah. very traditional, you know, book value and things like that. Exactly. Terms, exactly. Ben Graham the, kind the ter- of way. Exactly. Yeah. Ben Graham, when he, you know, wrote his book and, and, totally um, benefited from the stock market. Stocks were trading at a discount to book value, right? So, uh, and because of that and his whole, um, the book which he wrote was kind of the the thrust of the message was find shares that are trading at a discount to book value. Uh, But you're not going to find that now, right? There's no, virtually no share that trades at a discount to the, the, the depreciated, uh, fixed assets on its balance sheet. So um, book value, you know, price to book value being the kind of um, hallmark of the value investor is a, is a very misguided or, or incorrect term. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that, that, I think that was a good good point to touch on, especially with nowadays with, uh, you know, hyper growth uh, share prices yeah. uh, going through the roof. Yeah. Um, great. Which, Should we which now pivot fa- to... It- yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, as I said, is a factor of QE, right? As thirteen trillion dollars has been printed by the world's central banks in the last um, since the two thousand and nine crisis, um, th- that has trebled global money supply in a decade. Um, all that money is just chasing growth, and and uh, you know the other side of that um, quantitative easing is 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 very low interest rates, thus benefiting um, growth investing. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's go on. (laughs) Yep, thanks for that summary. So moving on to the the Indian market, I just want to quote some of the things that you said in that 2018 article on Seeking Alpha. And by the way, um, 
if you guys want to read more of uh, Sonal's work, uh, please visit Seeking Alpha. Uh, type his, his name, you'll see uh, a ton of articles, uh, quality articles. So back, back to the topic here, I just want to quote a, a couple of things that you said. The digital beast in India is about to be awakened. Digi <laughs> digital emer digital emergence of 300 million people offer unrivaled opportunity. And then the last quote, last call for E-Train to Mumbai, hop on board. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so talk a little bit <laughs> about the indie market and your take on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's a fascinating story and, 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 and a very uh, bifurcated economy. Most people think China and they think, oh, well, you know, then India. Um, so there are some very important distinctions about in India is one of the most inequitable economies in the world. Okay. There's, I think, three people in the top. 10 richest people in the world, top 10 fortune people are Indian, right? Um, but you also have a whole swathe of people who can't, who earn less than 50, less than uh, $1,000 a year, okay? So GDP per capita in India, the average GDP is $1,500 per, per, per year, Um and I think the states is about 35, 40,000, I'm not sure. But China is $7,500 a year. So it's obviously higher. But within that $1,500 a year, you basically have 80% of the population below the average, right? So 80% of the population um, earn less than $1,500 a year and 20% and, 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 and of the 20%, we have a few extremely rich people, which obviously drags the average up, but the median is much lower. Okay. Sorry, this is all very mathematical. I'm, I'm hoping you can just nod if you don't understand. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> um, um, so it's, it's a very polarized society. So in the last few years, you, you know, you've had lots of e-tailers going to India, like Timberland or Gap or whatever. And they've come out with their tails between their legs because, you know, the 1.3 billion people with the GDP rising at 8% per annum, well, there were no, you know, feet walking into the stores because 80% of the population can't afford a Big Mac for lunch. Um, so it's, 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 it's a difficult um, or, or, or a paradoxical situation. Nonetheless, GDP growth is booming, okay? And, and there are enormous opportunities. It's like the last digital frontier left in the world, which is growing at 8%, um, which is just about um, digitizing. So two, three, three things. Um, in the last five years, 30% um, of the people have smartphones, Okay. Uh, it's, it's gone from about 10 to 30%. And we're talking a very basic functional functionality of a $50 smartphone, but it still enables e-commerce or, or e-services. Um, up to 2016, India was very much a cash economy. Okay, 90% of the economy was a cash economy, which kind of uh, 
didn't accommodate um, um, digitization or, or um, e-commerce. And, and, and it was, and it was also informal. It was not taxed. It was probably in the black market. So India in 2016, they, they called it what the mother of all reforms. They demonetized the economy. They basically confiscated 90% of the bank notes to try and force the economy into formal banking channels. Um, and, and that is the, you know, golden opportunity that has now opened to exploit those 1.4 billion people, albeit with very low incomes, those incomes are rising at 8% plus in, in terms of GDP growth. Um, and it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's like the, the, the gold rush, right? There, 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 there aren't established players like in China where you have Tencent or WeChat or uh, Alibaba. Um, it, it's an open, open playing field and everybody wants to get into it. Okay. Facebook currently bought, um, a large stake in a company called Geo, which, which is owned by the second richest or the, I don't know, the top 10 one of the top 10 richest men in the world, Ambani, which is a, a dynasty family in India. Um, and he started this telecom company, Geo, uh, which in the space of three years has got something like 600 million subscribers because he gave data uh, for $2 a month, Un- unlimited data for $2 a month. Voice was free. Um, so he basically has, has, has taken over um, from Vodacom and I think Ed, uh, Barty Cell, there were a few other players, but it's, it's an, it's, it's a country in huge flux. Google Pay has just gotten in as well. So when India or Modi, the prime minister demonetized India, he also set up a platform to allow everybody, even the rural population to have access to digital payments. Okay, it's called the UPI system, which stands for United Payment Interface, which is basically a platform that allows uh, digital e-commerce or services or payments, either peer-to-peer, uh, from person to person or from person to business. Um, so even the tiniest little corner shop in the most rural village where, you know, the 99, 99% of their business might have been cash, now is obliged because of the actual virtual absence of banknotes has is now obliged to get onto this payment system and everybody in india has um a payment facility so um it's it, every uh, maybe in america you don't have a kind of unique id number for you know every every person but in britain you have, you know, your NIS number, your national insurance number. In India, you have something called the Andar number. It's it, so 1.4 billion people or 1.3 billion people. They all have a unique number, and that number has now facilitated this um, platform for 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 digital transactions. And that's only since 2016. But the rate of growth of that as a as 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 the mechanism of e-commerce. Is just exponential, um, and that's the the gold mine that you know. F- when Facebook bought into Geo, um, when um, um, Alibaba 
or Ant Financial bought into Paytm. Um, everybody, everybody's trying to get at that last in, into the last untapped large market left in the world, and that's India. And what I find fascinating is it's still very unclear on who will be the ultimate win- winners. Um, one of the things that you also have to understand about India is it's, it's, it's a social democracy, right? So, for example, the government, through this UPI platform, Google Pay was becoming a very dominant uh, payment gateway. So just last month, the, the government has mandated that no payment platform can have more than 35% market share. Um, so they, uh, you, the, it, it could actually be a very good idea for the U.S. as well. And in fact, the CEO of uh, Google, uh, Sundar Pichai, who happens to be Indian, um, actually told the U.S. government that I think the Indian system ought to be adopted in, in America because it is the fairest um, interoperable um, non-captive you know, like Apple's War Garden. It's an open platform system. So there's a lot going on in India and everybody, you know, from Alibaba to Jack Ma to Zuckerberg to Google um, and to the company that uh, Beko and I met on, Ebix, which is actually a US company with an Indian CEO who's now going back to his motherland or trying to, you know, uh, attack or uh, capitalize on the of the digital profits from India. Um, it's the last big digital market. And and um, uh, what else can I say about it? Um, there are still no winners, okay? Like WhatsApp, you know, everybody in India uses WhatsApp, okay? But, and it, it's only been there for two or three years. I think you went from, you know, close to nothing to 700 million um, subscribers. Uh, but but uh, they're also trying to set up a payment mechanism. And obviously that, that would have been a real winner. Like in China, you have WeChat and WePay, which basically became the ubiquitous payment mechanism in China. Um, WhatsApp will not be able to do that in India because of the mandates imposed by government. I don't know if that gives you some idea of of both the opportunity and the complexity of the economy. Yeah, absolutely. The gold rush, I think. Uh, to to your point about the gold rush, I think it's a it's a very apt word to use with all these companies trying to tackle the market, not just in the yeah. digital front, right? I mean, you talked about all these companies, retail companies, going after the Indian consumer market and walking back to their wherever they came from with tails between their legs um, yeah. but with like this new frontier of digital um you know digitization especially when it comes to payments i think yeah you know, there's it's, yeah. it's the uncharted territory uh and slowly right slowly companies like yeah you know you and i we talked about the next episode ebix and whatever else you know, people are sort of getting getting into this market but to your point the uncl the is still early in the game sort of murky yeah, it, you know, absolutely. The government has yeah. government has a, a quite a bit of role to play here, obviously, with all these incentive structures, uh, UPI system uh, in 2016. You know, taking these banknotes out of the circulation. 
um, cert uh, certainly a very, very interesting market um, you know, from our perspective. Uh, and in terms of growth perspective, it's really, like you said, unparalleled opportunity uh, to digitize, you know, to digitize 300 million people into the digital uh, payment ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and 300 million is kind of what people said in the middle class. I mean, India has 1.4 billion people, uh, but, but but that middle class is moving to an income bracket, which will, you know, permit um, buying Gap clothes or uh, cappuccinos or, or well, masala Indian chai, actually. Uh, but it'll permit... It, it'll permit, you know, some disposable income, which is attractive to the world's consumer brands. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, basically like 300 million. That's, you know, middle class, Indian middle class. That's basically a population of, of the U.S. Of America. America. Yeah. Yeah. And they're a lot thinner. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of uh, a lot thinner. OK, I didn't get that part. Now I got it. Yes. Yes. About to get a little, a little, a little, plump, a little, a little bit more plump. Uh, as they, as they <laughs> rise into the middle class, <laughs> they need a little bit of more McDonald's and French fries and whatever else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, there are a, a couple of questions that I wanted to kind of fire off, and these could be pretty quick, uh, quick answers. Uh, so these are these are questions that I collected from our audience. Um, that had a particular interest in investing in India. And so I just wanted to bring them up to you and we could talk about them here. Sorry, so who, there are four Orbis, questions. So, so who did you say? Questions from who? Uh, our Orbis. audience. Our audience. Oh, your audio, I, okay, I heard Orbis. Okay, go on. Yes, go on. Yeah. So there are four questions here. Uh, let's start off uh, with the first one. Uh, any major Indian success stories that we should be aware of? Um, yeah, um, I mean, the I, IT companies, Wipro, Infosys, um, you know, are, are kind of the equivalent of Arthur Anderson's and uh, the Pricewaterhouse Consultancy arms. They've done phenomenally well abroad. Um, um, Tata, which is a car company, recently bought Jaguar. So there, there, there are lots, there, there are increasingly um, powerful stories of Indians kind of venturing abroad. Uh, in India um, itself, which I, I guess the question is, is more um, 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 directed to that, um, the environment is so much in flux. Like this, I just talked about Jio, right? J-I-O, which is this uh, mobile phone company operator, which is just paid for 5G networks in India um, and has just totally obliterated the competition. Um, I think when, when, you look at a, when you look at India, it's important to, to know, you know who the target market is. So you're, forget, forget about Model 3s. Tesla Model 3s, okay? You might have uh, Chinese EVs, you know, where $3,000 for uh, as the price of the car. Um, bicycles, um, mopeds, um, you know, your, 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 your first furniture set. I don't know. You, you've got to be able to think in terms of the disposable income of the average Indian. Um, 
education is a big thing, both kind of, you know, probably shared with the kind of Chinese um, cult mindset. Parents will do anything to educate their children. Um, and uh, have I forgotten the name now? There's, there's this online educational uh, company, uh, uh, BYDU, which, which has made interactive online teaching just so interesting and engaging that starting from India, they've basically taken over the world market in, in online education, which has obviously been accelerated by COVID. Um, and Mark Zuckerberg in his, his, his personal foundation took a stake in this company. Um, Indians are pretty damn, uh, imaginative, academic, um, um, and very interested in money, especially a discount. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's good. It, it, it's got an enormous potential. If you can find, a company that is harnessing the intellectual capital, the brain power of people, and and leveraging that onto the global stage, that that kind of me is 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 uh, you know kind of a mental schema that I think about, right? And and for example, you know, Ebix, the company that we're going to talk about now, um, it it has monopolized insurance exchanges in America. Right. So it's basically millions of policies that are transacted through agents or via the carrier and the customer. They, the, the x-ray that the guy has for his health insurance plan or, um, um, the quote for the policy from various carriers via various agents to the customer will all go through that EBIC ex- exchange. And Ebix has managed to um, get very fat margins because most of that back-end heavy-duty IT work is done in India. Right. I mean, obviously, India as like this powerhouse, IT powerhouse has been known for a while. Um, uh, but um, yeah, some of those names that you mentioned, I think, would be good for our, our listeners to kind of dig into more. Let's move on to yeah. the next question here. I think this is a good one. Is fraud okay, or sorry, corruption? Because was that was that too long an answer? You you just want like three names? Would you prefer that? No, no, that that's good. I think we can go into yeah that that level of discussion is yeah. good. Yeah. So shifting gears, uh, is fraud or corruption as big a deal as I've heard? Yeah, bigger. Um, <laughs> um, I think I think you know even these large multinationals that I talked about, Infosys, Wipro, even they, despite being globally successful companies, there were there were um, um, cases of fraud. I don't know which one. I think it was Wipro. Um, there, there, there seems to be a tendency to try and not pay tax or, or to try and get a good deal. Okay? It just seems like in the Indian psyche, to try and avoid parting with money, and 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 people will sail close to the wind, uh, and this is um, augmented by a lax regulatory framework, uh, and and um, even more lenient enforcement, right? In terms of the number of tax officials or 
audit firms or whatever, um, there's huge scope for people to try and cheat. And, and, and I would go as far as to say that it almost seems to be an innate Indian, um, um, personality trait to try and avoid paying taxes or to try and, you know, underpay your suppliers, right? So you, you, you've got to, you, you've got to be, uh, very vigilant. But, but by the same token, um, the, the the other side of that coin is you know you've got some serious brain power being used to find new opportunities you know you just have to make damn sure they're legal okay <laughs> yeah yeah I, think, yeah I don't know if that answers your question but uh, yeah no, I, I think so no, I think me, it does yeah. it, it, no yeah. I think it paints paints some pictures it paints some colors around this but I think it kind of speaks to I guess going to, going harping back to one of the first things that we talked about in the episode which is really doing yeah. due diligence in terms of understanding the management and talking to the RER and, and yeah. doing the segmental yeah. analysis, being really diligent about that uh, as you're approaching yeah. these companies because it is such a, oh, you know, it, it is, it is pervasive to your point. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the, the hallmark or the, the, the certification of the auditor, you know, is, is important. I mean, you probably heard about the big four firms, um, I, I would not invest in a company in India that, that did not have a big four auditor. So actually, that's a good segue to the next question. Uh, it came from one of our listeners here. Are there reputable auditing firms in India or that are operating yeah. out of India? So that, maybe yeah. that answers your question, answer these questions. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So all the, is it, is it uh, Pricewaterhouse, Arthur Anderson? No, Arthur Anderson's died because of Enron, didn't they? KPMG, the big four are all in India. And, yeah, and, and there's that, yeah. yeah, there is no reason to have a listed company that doesn't have the hallmark of a big four auditing firm. I, I would just not go there. Yeah, that sounds good. I think that's all the questions that uh, there's more, more pointed questions, but we can save them for later. But I think that sort of nicely caps our first episode here. Uh, we talked about kind of your checklist. Uh, your mental model, mental schema that you use, uh, really kind of honing in on a couple of things here. I think management is something that that really stood out to me, as well as doing the segment, segmental analysis. And then we talked about sort of overall market condition with uh, Kiwi really distorting the market. And then we shifted gears and talked about Indian market and its huge potential. The last train, uh, the last call for E-Train to Mumbai, hop on board, really uh, left a mark on me there. Um, and then some pointed questions about about Indian success stories that we should be aware of, and then the fraud and corruption aspect of it as well. Great. Um, thank you so much Good. for tuning in, everybody. And thank you, Sonal. Um, I look forward to our next episode, which is going to be super exciting. Uh, our, our mutual, mutually, um, a company that, that, we, that we both are interested in. And, and so looking forward to doing a deep dive there and if you guys um if you guys want to follow sunil and his amazing work uh, at seeking alpha please please do so uh, look up his name sunil s-u-n-i-l s-h-a-h so, uh, so check the him first out. name is linus linus spelled backwards if that helps you yep <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Great. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And yeah. I, I would just like to say thank you very much, B, uh, Biko, for having me. I, 
it's new for me. I, I, I'm delighted to do this. I think, you know, investing is, is a fascinating game. It would be absolutely stupid to give your money to a fund manager like Vanguard or Fidelity. You as a, you know, an individual have the capability and the insights to do it yourself. And it's bloody interesting. So do it. Don't give your money to some mutual fund manager. Yeah, excellent point to end on. All right, thanks yeah, everybody so, for tuning and may, in. May, maybe just a quick punch. Seeking Alpha is becoming one of the premier forces in investing, both in terms of their investment methodology, the people who write for it, the 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 richness of the conversations on the site. Um, if you like investing, get on to Seeking Alpha and start reading. Thank you. <laughs> Is there, a, is there any other way that you want our audience to reach out to you? Like, do you have a Twitter account or anything like that that they can follow you on? Yeah, yeah just just send um, dollar money gram transfers to the um, <laughs> link that I post below. No, no, no. No, uh, you, 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 can, you can contact me on Seeking Alpha. And there's a messaging app within it. Um, it's, it's very easy. Okay, fantastic. All right, stay tuned for our next episode, guys. I'll see you there. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Biko. See you soon.